0: So, how many of you have seen the new Star Wars movie? Okay, good job. The rest of you, I can give you counsel after the service <laughs> i don 't know what 's wrong with you, but <laughs> my one of my my uh, brother in law who's also kind of doubles as one of my best friends uh, he went and saw it before I did and it was like the second he got out of the movie theater, he's te- sending me text messages like, when are we going to go? When do you want to go? He was just so excited about it. And then every couple of days, I'd get like a fresh batch of messages like, how about today? How about tomorrow? When's, you know, and, it kinda, and so after a couple of weeks of this, I really kind of came to the conclusion, he's very excited about this movie, and there must be a reason for it. Okay, He likes it at the very least. That's the reason he liked it. Um, when we're reading here the book of Romans, what we've already discovered in the first 15 verses is that Paul is amped about the gospel. He loves it. And immediately he begins speaking of it. He talks about it in the very first verse of the first chapter. that He talks about the gospel of God and then he kind of details uh, some of the facets of it. And and then when he greets the church in Rome, who, as a way of reminder, he'd never visited yet. He hadn't been to Rome uh, to preach the gospel yet. But he'd heard of the church in Rome. And probably from Corinth, he writes this letter. And he tells them, I can't wait to come to you. I want to give you a spiritual gift, he says to them. But we left off with the, the last verse, verse 15 of chapter 1, where he says, And I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he'd gone all over the world preaching the gospel and talking to non-believers about the gospel message, but also believers about the gospel message. And he just couldn't wait to get to Rome to communicate that gospel message. And so seeing that kind of eagerness, I think we would then ask the question, why? Why were you so excited about this message what 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 is it about the gospel message that would give you that kind of eager desire remembering of course that paul when he would preach the gospel message got into a lot of physical trouble and difficulty as a result of his gospel preaching so he was willing to even endure pain as a result so what was it that made him this way and i think that today in verse 16 and 17 like i read he kind of answers that question for us. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not sh- not ashamed of the gospel because... And then he gives us what I think really are four big reasons why he loves and appreciates the gospel uh, so much. He says it's the power of God. He says it, you know, communic- it's for everyone. It communicates the righteousness of God, and it develops this faith inside of us. So what I'm hoping is that we can, at the close of today, but also more importantly, the close of the book of Romans, because it's Paul's treatise on the gospel. He's explaining the gospel to us. And I'm hoping that when we're done with it, at the end of this year, Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to say, and I too am not ashamed. Of the gospel because I know that it's the power of God, and so I'm hoping and praying for that. Now, if you just think about it, that first phrase when he says there in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, but I am not ashamed. If you just think about it, uh, there are maybe some temptations that might come into our heart to actually be ashamed of the gospel. In fact, uh, when you read all the scholars about this little cluster of verses, a lot of them are really bummed out with Paul that he said that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because he really could have said at this point, I am very proud of the gospel. Right? But he instead says it in a way that leaves a little bit of room like, he may have been tempted at one point or another to be ashamed of the gospel. And a lot of scholars don't like that because they can't imagine an apostle ever experiencing even the temptation to perhaps be ashamed of the gospel. But he's human, and I think human beings have the possibility, even the best of us, to be ashamed of a message like the gospel. But Paul went through a process of getting over it and coming out and saying, no, I'm not ashamed of it. Now, what are some of the things that could lead us to be ashamed of the message of the gospel? Well, some of us might think, well, it's kind of a weak message. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard, you know, that it's a message for people who need a crutch. It's a message for people who are really weak and that kind of thing. But Paul came to a point where he said, no, it's not a weak message. It's a message that is the power, verse 16. It is the actual Power of uh, God. All right. okay, That's all right. (laughs) You guys are all nervous and everything. (laughs) It's all right. I've heard a cell phone before. (laughs) Okay. All right, so it's the power of God. We might also be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel because it's an exclusive message you really think about it, it's exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And we live in a culture and world where we love to say things like, all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God. All religions are different paths to the same mountaintop. But Christianity doesn't teach that. It's very exclusive. And we might be tempted to feel very ashamed of, of that. But Paul came to this place where he realized, you know what? It might be, in one sense, a very uh, exclusive message, uh, but on the other hand, it's the most inclusive message that there is because it is for everyone who believes So, the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're going to look at that. And then, you know, we might also be tempted because some people think that Well, I mean, the cross, that's God, the Father, letting his son die a gruesome death. This seems to be an ugly message. But Paul actually got to a place where he says, No, what I've discovered is that it reveals the righteousness, the goodness, the majesty of God himself. You just really can't know these things about God fully without the cross of Christ. And then maybe even the means of receiving it, uh, because all the religions of the world say, do this, do this, do this, and here's the outcome. And uh, the gospel says, there is no do this, do this, do this, here's the outcome. Paul came to a point where he celebrated and said, I'm not ashamed that it's by faith and for faith and produces more faith. I'm not ashamed of that. And so we've got to go through that process, all right? So these are doctrines and things that Paul is saying and teaching and communicating that helped him get to a point of saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Take note, his lack of shame did not come from just like pumping himself up. You know, there was no, like, eye of the tiger playing in the background and him just saying over and over again, like, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this. And maybe you've heard this kind of thing, you know, maybe somebody just over and over again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then you kind of get to a point where you think, I think maybe you're struggling with being ashamed of the gospel. Uh, So you have to say this over and over again. Uh, There are truths, though, that when we get them inside our hearts, that's what happened to Paul. when when we get them inside our hearts, and we see them in everyday life, it helps us to say, I'm not embarrassed at all of this message. It's so incredible, and here's why. All right, so let's take a look at these elements that Paul said. Here's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. First of all, he said there in verse 16, let's look at our first, we're doing four chunks here. Our first little chunk, he says, for it is the power of God for." salvation it is the power of God for salvation uh, I remember years ago there was a, a, a brother in the church he actually still kind of comes to the area here and there but he spends part of the year here part of the year in Phoenix and he worked for the uh, Phoenix Suns pro basketball team and he had told me he'd say hey if you ever want to if you're ever in Phoenix or you ever want to come down to Phoenix during basketball season let me know And if you're there on a game day, I'd love to give you tickets, and you can, you know, see a game. So I am a Lakers fan. It's kind of a rough time for us, but I kind of like basketball. But I was like, okay, we'll go down there sometime. So we went down, and um, he gave us some tickets. And then when we got there, he says, hey, I actually want to take you around. I want to show you uh, underneath the stadium and go look at some locker rooms and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, cool, a little field trip. So we're cruising around. And the Lakers were actually playing them, and uh, he says, actually, if we stand over here, this is where they're going to walk out from their locker room through the tunnel, and then they're going to go out onto the court, and if we just kind of stand here, they say hi, they give high fives, stuff like that, and so we could just kind of stand here, and you could wait, would you like to do that? I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be cool, you know? So this was back when they had, the Lakers had this player named Shaquille O'Neal, and he's huge. He was like 7'2", 7'3", and 300 something pounds, you know, just a really big man, and uh, so these guys are walking out, you know, basketball players are tall, and I'm very impressed, but when Shaquille O'Neal came out, it it really was everything within me not to just say out loud, oh my goodness, that's a very large man, (laughs) because it just like, he came out, and everybody else just looks so puny, you know, and I'm not talking about like, you know, concession stand workers, I'm talking about his teammates, who are also very large but not that level of large. And it just impressed me, all right? Paul, if you think about it, he had a front row seat during the entirety of his Christian life to seeing what he said here in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. He had watched that over and over again. The first time that he's mentioned in the Bible, He's called Saul. His, that was the name that he had at first, and he became to be known as Paul, as a Christian man. But when he was a non-believer, Saul, the first time that we see him, it's actually found earlier in the book of Acts, when a deacon in the church named Stephen is preaching. He has an opportunity to share. He teaches the religious leaders. They saw his face like the face of an angel. There was like this glory about him as he's preaching and they rejected his message and as they rejected his message they decided that he needed to die for the thing that he was preaching and so before they picked up rocks to stone him to death they took off their coats and when they took off their coats the bible says that they laid them at the feet of a of Saul this young man named Saul one of his first the first mention of him in the bible and he watches this guy Stephen who with the face of an angel had been preaching and then had been radically rejected, and he's watching this guy getting pelted with rock after rock, slowly dying, and saying, Lord, forgive them. And I'm sure that there was this thing in Paul's heart of going, what makes somebody say that? That's the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to save. I wonder if Paul asked the question in his own heart, if somebody was stoning me, for my Judaism, would I respond in that way? And I think the honest answer would be no. God, God had done a, such a work of grace inside of Stephen's heart. When Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, uh, it was a radical conversion and everything. I recounted to you all the time. But uh, one of the first events that happened was this Christian named Ananias was told by the lord to go and pray for saul or paul and saul by that time had become a known killer of christians he was persecuting them throwing them into prison and consenting to many of their deaths and so the lord tells ananias hey go meet with uh saul and so ananias is like lord i know you love me and so I don't know why you would make me do this. You know Why would you send me to him? He says, don't worry, he's one of us now. He's on our team. He goes and he says to him, the first words out of his mouth, he says, Brother Saul. He had a front row seat. What makes a person do that? That's the gospel saving someone so completely that they could look at someone who previously killed their kind and now says, brother, you're my brother. We're family. We're family. The gospel did that in Ananias' life. And on and on, when Paul, you know, eventually, 13, 14 years later, when he was one of the leaders in the church in Antioch, it was a beautiful church, it was really exciting, Barnabas asked him to come help him with the church there, and he's there in this church, and it actually says in the book of Acts, in Antioch, it was the place that Christians were, that they were first called Christians. And uh, it wasn't because they kind of got together and they're like, you know, we need a name for our team. And so let's go let's go, Christians. It was that the other people looked at them and said, no, we need a name for you. We're going to call you Christians. You're behaving like Jesus. You're like Christ. That's really what it means. And so it was just beautiful in the church in Antioch. He's watching people of different backgrounds and histories and Uh, religions and race come together now under the submission to the gospel, belief in the gospel, and he just, it's beautiful. And then one day they're praying, him and the other leaders in the church in Antioch, and the Holy Spirit says, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So the other leaders pray for them and send Barnabas and Saul On their first missionary journey before missionary journeys had even been invented. And they go out to Crete and uh, Pisidia and Derby and Lystra and all these places around in this circuit. And they come back to Antioch and they report to their home church and say, We went to all these towns and people believed. Not everybody believed, but people believed. These people in these pagan cultures and lifestyles and all that they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and now places where churches did not exist they exist and then he just kept going he would go to uh, Philippi he would go to Thessalonica he would go to Berea he would go to Athens and eventually he'd go to Corinth which is probably where he wrote this particular letter the book of Romans from but Paul, up to this point in his life, and then on, even after he wrote this letter, he had a front row seat to seeing the power of God that leads to salvation. What kind of salvation is Paul talking about? Right? There's, a, there's a small way of thinking about salvation and a big way of thinking about salvation. He says it's the power of God for salvation. Right? So the, the smaller way is to say what salvation is, is there was a point where I said yes to Christ, that he died on the cross for my sin, and he paid the penalty for me, and I invited him into my life and heart. I trusted him for the forgiveness of my sin, and now I'm saved from my sin. And usually by that we also mean, and then fast forward into the far and distant future, or maybe the not so far and distant future, but there's going to be the time where I'm going to be saved from the future judgment of god eternally but there's this big gap in between the initial moment of salvation and the salvation from the judgment of god and it's this life that we're in right now and that as well can also be termed the a space that is under the salvation of god so we're justified by god so in god's courtroom we are seen as innocent without guilt We are reconciled to God. That's another word that comes under or inside the salvation word, reconciled. In other words, we used to be enemies of God, whether you knew it or not, but when you receive the gospel message, you now become a friend of God, that radically reconciled to him, that you become his friend, that unified to him, Uh, redeemed. By God, this is also a word that's inside of the salvation word, and I love the word redeemed. It means that that we were bought out of slavery, and yeah, that does have a one-time positional kind of aspect to it. But one of the things we're going to discover in Romans is that it's a continual thing that the Lord is saying, "Hey, there's another area that I bought you out of slavery in, and you're still in it a little bit, and so I'm gonna I bought I paid for it by my blood. I paid for that already, so I'm gonna get you out." I'm going to get you out. So the word salvation is really big. So the gospel is to be continually working in our lives to help us experience the power of God to be delivered and saved and, and all of that. So Paul had seen it. It is the power of God for salvation. And that caused him to just absolutely, abundantly rejoice. So in one sense, Paul could say it like this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know what it did to me. Right? I hope you can say that. You ever talk to a Christian that you kind of, if you didn't know their history or their life or anything, but in speaking with them, you just imagine, like, looking at them, you know you're not supposed to judge, but you did. And as you were looking at them, you thought, man, I bet their whole life was just squeaky clean. You know, they're so nice, they're so kind. And then they start telling you, their history, and you can't believe it. Right? You ever thought you ever, that ever happened to you? Maybe it's, have you ever thought that about me? <laughs> well, no, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I'm like, I used to be. You're like, yeah, I can imagine. And I see it. <laughs> All right? That's the power of the gospel working in someone's life when that level of change and transformation occurs. It's powerful. All right, secondly, Also in verse 16, here's another thing that caused Paul to say, I'm not ashamed. He says it's the power of God to salvation, here it is, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So it's, in one sense, of course, it is exclusive, but it's also very inclusive. It's for everyone who believes, and then he gives an example of this, to the Jew first, and also uh, to the Greek. Now, you guys know this, that when Paul went on his missions trips and went from city to city, he actually followed that order of preaching. He would go to the Jew first, and then he would preach to the Gentile world, or the Greek living world. Uh, And it was a very strategic thing that he would do, because Paul had been a rabbi and a Pharisee, And what the synagogues did throughout the world, you know, in various towns, I think it was, you had to have 10 Jewish males in a town, uh, but they would, if they had that, they would form a synagogue. And so on Saturdays, they would come together to study the scripture. And one of the parts or elements of their services is they would ask the question, are there any rabbis here? Anybody who's got got that credential? You know, you've got that education and you want to share with us. And so Paul would go straight to the synagogue, and when they asked that question, he's like, well, yes, I do have a thing or two that I'd like to say. And he would take the Old Testament, and he would teach from the Old Testament the gospel, which is not that hard to do, but it was very not hard for Paul to do, because he'd studied the Old Testament so well, and he was prepared, and so he would share the gospel with them. And it really, as you read the book of Acts, it varied from town to town some places lots of people that had previously been following Judaism became Christians in some towns Hardly any, and a big resistance to the gospel came. But usually what would happen is, then the next Saturday would roll around. Paul would kind of prepare. There'd be seven days where word would get out. Like there was this guy, he was here last week, this rabbi, his name's Paul. He preached, he talked to us about this guy named Jesus. And, and then the next week, attendance in the synagogue was, they broke all their attendance records because everyone following Judaism was there, but then also the Gentiles would be there. And Paul would preach the gospel to them, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And what Paul came to discover is that this gospel message applies to everyone who believes. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a Greek thing. Now, that, those two classifications help us understand that the gospel really does go everywhere and to anyone. First of all, that's quite the religious spectrum. The Jews... Judaism, you have monotheists, they have a set, you know, revelation, the Old Testament. And then you've got the Greeks, you've got pagans, and I wanted to say at the 730 service this morning that they would worship anything that walked, but it was actually more than that even. Walking plus just like being planted in the ground, floating in the sky, whatever, there would be, you know, those who would worship in that kind of way, and everything in between anyone, no matter the religious background, can come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. It has application across all the entire religious spectrum, Jew and Greek. And then also uh, it speaks to us of the entire racial spectrum. The Jews would look at Greeks as those on the outside unclean you might remember when Peter walked into Cornelius's house in Acts chapter 10 to preach the gospel he walks in and he basically says hey you guys all know a bunch of Gentiles he says you all know I've never really done that before I've never come to a Gentile's house but God told me to so here I am what do you want me to talk about all right so the, the gospel goes to everyone though Jew and Greek the timeline spectrum as well Because the Jews received first. They got the truth of God's word, revelation. You have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But the Gentiles, they hadn't heard. They hadn't known. And this might be comforting to some of you who, uh, you know, some of you, you came to Christ uh, and you have a generationally solid Christian family. And you were having the gospel preached to you when you were, you know, couldn't even read yet and people are showing you the way to Christ and and you're hearing it some of you that's not your history at all and <laughs> that's not in your background but you need to know it's for everyone the Jew first but also to the Greek and then every culture is also included there because that's such a contrast the Jewish culture and the Greek living culture every culture is included the gospel could apply to every culture on earth. You don't have to adopt a new culture. You get to be in the culture you're in and accept uh, Christ. This is a beautiful message. Like I've been to India before and I saw the lowest castes. And their religion wasn't working out for them. But the gospel message applies to every culture, every race, every timeline, And whatever religious background you have, you can still come to Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And so he says to everyone who believes, he's very excited about that. Then he says, notice in verse 17, here's another reason, a third reason that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness means purity, uprightness, justness perfection. Words like that help describe what the word righteousness means. So what does Paul mean when he says, hey, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God? What does Paul mean by that? Well, in one sense, he means, he's got to be meaning uh, that you can't understand the holiness and the righteousness and the purity and the uprightness of God fully accurately, without the gospel. I mean, like in the Old Testament, there was a lot about God that they would look at and say, He's holy, right? I mean, they would come to worship, and there was a priesthood and sacrifices that had to be offered in a certain way. You didn't just roll in and bust open the curtain and be like, God, here I am, let's hang out. That wasn't like that. There was this process that would help you understand, He's holy, When Moses said, it's time for me to go hear from God, I'm going to go up to the mountaintop. And he said, you can't come and you can't even touch the base of the mountain. And they're waiting, standing back. And Moses goes up and they see the lightning and hear the thunder and they watch the clouds come and all of that. They would understand God's holy. God's holy to a degree. But in the cross of Christ, because here's the thing, people say, well, why couldn't why can't God just turn a turn a blind eye to sin? Why can't Why can't He just say it's all good? You're all in. It's fine. I'll turn away from it. I won't look at it. You're all in. And at the cross of Jesus, we see. Oh, it's because He's. I mean, so holy isn't the right way to say it because it's either you're holy or you're not. But you know what I mean when I say He's so holy. There's just this absolute perfection and majesty to him that when we see the cross of Christ, we go, oh, that's what it took. That's what it took for you to change me into being righteous like you. You are so righteous, so holy, so pure, so upright. So in one sense, in the gospel, we see God's righteousness. But I think there's another sense there, and... Paul, I think, probably is really talking about this when he says, it's in the cross of Jesus that we learn how righteousness actually even comes into my life and into your life. It's found in the gospel. So those words that I just said to you about what, the go- what righteousness is, uprightness, purity, straightness, how many of you would like to have more of that in your life and in your heart? You know, the Lord, just like working in you, there's more purity, uprightness, holiness, straightness, virtue, correctness of thought and action. These are all words that describe righteousness, and it's through the message of the gospel that this righteousness is not only imputed, deposited, given, but also experienced and lived out. Romans 5.17 will tell us that the free gift of righteousness came through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ. All right, so Paul is proud of the gospel, you could say, because the righteousness of God is revealed. We've figured out how righteous God is, but also how we can receive the righteousness of God in ourselves, and it comes through the message of the gospel. And then, lastly, look at this final phrase at the end of verse 17 From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, this message comes, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's, a, here's the last thing that Paul rejoices over. He's just celebrating. He's like, okay, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, you know, God's power to save people it's found inside the gospel. And it's for everybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter what your background is, for everybody who believes. And... You know, I'm just so excited about it because the righteousness of God is finally seen as a result of this gospel message. From faith for faith. So, what does that mean? I think, in one sense, obviously, he's just rejoicing at how you get the gospel blessings of righteousness inside your heart and inside your life. It's not through works. It's not through, you know, trying, you can't get the purity, uprightness, holiness of God by trying to be upright, pure, and holy. You've got to put your faith and trust in this gospel message. What does that mean? Well, you've probably heard the analogy before, but uh, forgive me if you have, but a lot of you, you here we are, not a lot of you, I was going to say a lot of you are sitting. You're all sitting, okay? (laughs) Here we are, you're in these chairs, and you're sitting there. And you're putting, obviously, your weight, the entirety of your weight upon those chairs. And you're not even really thinking about it, right? You just did it. You're sitting there. You're trusting in the chair, all right? That's part of what faith is. It's to put trust in, to lean fully upon, all right? You're not sitting there on the edge of your seat like, man, if this thing goes out, I'm going to be ready. No, you're just, if it went out, you'd be on the floor, you know? You're resting fully and completely Uh, In it, And that's how you enter into the blessings of the gospel. The message goes out, you sinned, you're broken, the world is broken. But God sent his son to live like us, to be one of us. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, took a judgment into his body that we deserve, but he took it for himself, and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, if you trust in him, if you put your weight onto him, You say, I I can't be saved by what I do. I can't be saved by going to a church. I can't be saved by any other thing. I have to put my weight onto him. You do that, and you enter into this gospel. You're born again. You're born again. But then Paul says the second thing. He says, from faith. Did you see it there? For faith. Or some of your Bibles might say, from faith to faith. What does that mean? And He says it's It's from faith, so you you enter into it by faith, but for faith, to faith, what does that mean? What is Paul indicating when he says that? Well, I think that his little quotation helps us, because he goes on and says, as it is written. So now he's going to quote from the Bible, the Old Testament, specifically from the prophet Habakkuk. And, uh, anybody quoted from Habakkuk today? I didn't think so, but Paul did. He was a Pharisee, very familiar with the Bible. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now Habakkuk, he was a prophet uh, with a complaint against God. And his complaint was really simple. He looks out at um, God's people, the people of Israel, and they were in a bad season during his life. And so he says to God, God, here's all your people. They're called your people. They're the covenant people of God. They're Israel, the house of God. All right? So here they are. They're your people. And they're not behaving like your people. So would you revive them? Maybe discipline them. That was kind of his suggestion to God. So God said, sure, I will. I heard your prayer. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send the Babylonians to come and carry them away captive, kind of destroy them. That'll be their discipline. And eventually they'll revive as a result, but that's going to be what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk had a real problem with that because in his mind he's like, okay, we're, I know that we're evil, and I'm complaining about that to you, but the Babylonians, they went pro in evil. <laughs> they really know how to do it. And how could they be the ones to come and bring judgment against us? So he argued with God. Okay, so if you've done that, you're not alone. <laughs> a prophet did it. He argues with God. But then here's what happened. Maybe this is a difference with some of us and Habakkuk. When Habakkuk got done arguing with God, he said, And I know that wasn't right. So I'm going to go into my tower, he says, and I'm going to wait to see what God says when he corrects me. Okay, I know I, I just complained and I said, You're wrong, I'm right. And I know that can't be right. So. I'm going to wait, and God then spoke to him. And one of the first things that God said, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous, or the just, will live by their faith. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you lean upon me? Now, in other places, Paul would use, like in Galatians, Paul would use that quotation as an Old Testament example of that we're made just by faith. You lean on the Lord, you're made righteous by faith. But I think here Paul is saying something, maybe he's saying that, but something bigger than that. He seems to be saying that our whole life now, if you put your trust, you leaned onto Jesus, you leaned onto that gospel message, now that's how you live the rest of your life before the Lord. You're going to have to lean upon Jesus. And specifically, and this is where it's very applicable for what we're going to be doing in the book of Romans, We're going to have to lean upon him in faith as we read some of the things that he says to us. Because more than likely for you, and I say this because I've experienced this myself, when we go through Romans and we read some of the things we read, there's going to be part of you that doesn't want to believe it. You won't want to believe it. And in order to really experience These things that are true, that he says, you're going to have to lean upon and say, I accept it. You're going to have to have real faith and trust. It might not make a lot of sense, like Habakkuk's thing that he received from the Lord. It might not make a lot of sense to you, but you're going to have to really lean and trust in the Lord. Like, let me give you an example of this. When we get to Romans chapter 6, and I think 7 and 8, there's going to be some arguments that come out of our own hearts about what Paul says. The Holy Spirit says we're going to learn in Romans six that if you're a Christian, if you've put your trust in Christ, that it's like you died with Jesus, were buried with Jesus and rose from the dead with Jesus so that you could be raised up to newness of life. And what we're going to discover is that the newness of life isn't just this future thing exclusively, but it's right here and now newness of life right now even that by itself there's going to be a lot of our heart that will say "Mm -mm. no that's not what i feel that's not what i feel that's not my experience i don't feel newness of life and we're going to have to have faith and trust and a leaning just like when we leaned upon the lord someone preached that initial aspect of the gospel message to us and we said i believe that when we get to this portion, that you have a resurrected life in Christ, that you have newness of life, we're going to say, I, I, I believe that. I trust the Lord in that. But then Paul's going to go on and he's going to say, like in Romans 6, verse 11, he's going to say, you are not a slave of sin, but you could be a slave of righteousness. So reckon or consider yourself dead to sin, and alive to God. That's going to take faith. You see, the Bible doesn't say, because you know what's tempting to feel like is, I feel very alive to sin, and sometimes dead to God. feel very alive to sin and dead to God. And maybe the temptation in your heart, when we get to truths like that, is you're going to say to yourself, you're going to say, well, you know, maybe for other people, they're feeling dead to sin and alive to God, but I don't feel that way. I don't see how this could be true. So that's why I think part of the reason why Paul is saying here at the very outset, this is what it's got to produce. Faith for more faith. You're going to be living this whole Christian life by faith. And when these doctrines come out at you and he says, you're new, you're, you could be a slave of righteousness, you're dead to sin, you have newness of life. And when you see all these things, there's going to be a part of our heart that says, I don't believe that. But we're going to have to believe that there's going to be a requirement of faith in this gospel message you guys see where where i'm going with this so uh this is going to be necessary for the duration of the book of romans so i think he's also rejoicing here because the gospel gives life continually by faith a continual belief in the beautiful themes and doctrines that are all contained here in the book of Romans and in uh, the message of the gospel itself, which Paul is clarifying in the book of Romans. So that's why I say I'm hoping that, you know, wh- wh- whenever it is, so I'm not calling my shot or anything, but I'm thinking second week of December, but who knows? Don't hold me to it. But but when we say at the end of Romans 16, amen, I hope that we will be able to say more than ever, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation. And I believe it, I trust in it, on all the various themes inside of it, I believe it. And I want to watch the Lord work in my life more than ever. I believe these truths of what he says about me. Amen? Okay, so Lord, we thank you so much. And... Hmm... Father, we're wanting so badly to get these truths really embedded deep inside our hearts. And Lord, in the weeks to come when we feel that temptation to be ashamed, maybe even next week, ashamed of this message, Lord, we pray that there be a boldness inside of us that says, no, no, but I know of what it can do. And I know it's for everyone. I know it's the the only true message. It's the one that really changes and really transforms. Lord, we pray that that would be firmly embedded inside of our hearts, Lord God. Father, we thank you for the story of what you've done in each one of our lives, those of us who have received this gospel message and really believed, Lord, in you, trusted in what you've done, Lord, for us on your cross. And Lord, we pray and ask that we be able to, by faith, appropriate these beautiful promises that you 've given to us, what you say about us, Lord, what you 've communicated about us, Lord. We pray that we get to that point like paul of saying i 'm not ashamed to be able to say with Paul, "I am so convinced that nothing, death, not life, angels, principalities, powers." none of it life nor death none of it can separate me from the love of god which is in christ jesus my lord help us lord to get to that place as your word comes into our minds and hearts as we read and think and study it lord so we pray father that you would do that and as we're praying i want to ask you if you're here today and you have not yet said yes to jesus he loves you he cares for you you're carrying around guilt and shame you're not innocent before god you're not born innocent before god and you've not acted innocently before god you're guilty but he doesn't want you to carry that around anymore he wants to forgive you he's made a way for you to be cleansed of all that and sh- shame and guilt to be washed of all that in that Jesus took your place, your judgment upon the cross, but you have to lean upon him. You have to put your trust in him. He rose from the dead to verify that what he did was effective. And you simply say to him, I believe in you. I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you for salvation. I trust in you to get inside my life and heart, to give me the righteousness of God. I trust in you to change me. I trust in you to do this in my life. So if you're in need of God's forgiveness in your life positionally, you're in need of being saved, you're in need of being born again, you're in need of that today, then the Bible says, today is the day of salvation now is the acceptable time so i want to just ask you if that's you i want to implore you receive christ surrender to him give your life to him your heart to him and let him come into your life and do what you could never do on your own and if there's anyone here this morning you'd say that's me i want to receive christ into my life his forgiveness his grace. His position. If that's you, I want to pray with you. So could you raise your hand right now if that's you today? I don't know if there's anybody, but I would love to pray with you. I see you back there, brother. I see you right here. Is there anybody else this morning that you are ready to have him come into your heart and life? God bless you, ma'am. I see you. Is there anyone else? Okay. If that's you, you just cry out to God personally from your heart. You say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me and to take the punishment that I deserved. Come into my life and into my heart. I give my life to you and I ask that you be my savior. And I want you to be my Lord. And then you can pray, help me to live a life for you. And he will do that by giving his Holy Spirit to you and helping you live a life for him. And so, Lord, we thank you. You're just so good. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.